Thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you want to partner with us by giving into this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our Oklahoma City campus pastor, Oscar Ortiz. How's it going, Victory Church? How's everybody doing today? I want to welcome our Edmond campus. I want to welcome everyone that's watching online. Thank you so much for being here in this amazing, beautiful, gorgeous, hot summer day. And you're still in church, and it's awesome. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Hey, so Pastor John wanted everybody to know today that he is advancing and moving forward with his book. He's got six out of nine chapters, so he's moving forward. Can we just encourage him? I know he's watching. And let them know we believe in you. We love you. Can't wait to see what God does through that and does through that book that he's working on uh, this summary for the next couple of weeks. So we're so excited and blessed by that. Well, we're in a season that we call the season of strength. And Pastor Wade spoke last Sunday on the strength of Joshua as we're trying to discover things in the Bible to help us gain some strength. How many of you guys, every once in a while, if you'd be honest, you could use some strength, you know? Maybe you needed some strength just from the trip home to the trip to church just to keep your mouth shut. You're like, oh, Jesus, give me strength because my kids are just full of the Spirit, <laughs> and sometimes it's holy. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk a little bit about strength, but we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. Yeah, <laughs> some people went, oh, my goodness. Oh my goodness. And let's be honest, it's, 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 it's the book of Revelation. I mean, it's from the, the Greek word apocalypsis, which just means unveiling. And so we pray that as we study this, that God unveils and reveals truth from his word to us. But the book of Revelation could be a little bit challenging because it's, it's a little bit of a, of, of a strange book. I mean, you don't, you don't see like devotionals being written about the book of Revelation, uh, right? You don't see, like, you probably never texted someone quoting the book of Revelation to encourage them. It just doesn't happen. I mean, have you ever gone to Hallmark and found verses from the book of Revelation in the cards in Hallmark? It doesn't happen. I mean, can you imagine a romantic card from the book of Revelation? Like, uh, I miss you so much, it hurts. Hurts as much as like being stung by a plague of locusts. That sting like scorpions tormenting me for five months. Revelation 9.3. Love, Stuart. You know, it just... Or, you know, even like, like encouraging cards don't happen from the book of Revelation. Like, man, I know you're going through so much right now. But just remember, at least you're not pregnant being chased by a dragon who wants to eat your baby. <laughs> Revelation 12, 2, praying for you. <laughs> Love, Karen. <laughs> Something Karen would say, and if your name is Karen, I am so sorry. But nevertheless, we want to get into it and study it because much like the entire, the rest of the Bible... Even the book of Revelation points us to Jesus. So we study it because the Bible can be either formational or can be just informational. In fact, uh, the author of the, the message translation, Eugene Peterson, says this. It says, what we need is not primarily informational, but telling us things about God and ourselves, but formational shaping us into our true being. And he's talking about our being in Christ. So today we have an, uh, a choice to just be informed or to actually be formed. And what makes a difference is how you and I receive God's truth. How we step into today. Today can be just a regular Sunday or it can be a much different Sunday according to God's word. So, so today we get to talk about a, a verse from Revelation. Um, 
that talks, it, it's Jesus telling John to write a letter to the church of Sardis. It was one of the, the major churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's writing this letter to his church. So you may be wondering, why are we reading that today, 2,000 letters to a church, 2,000 years later, to a church that no longer exists? It's because it no longer exists. So we're going to learn how as a church, how we can receive truth from this in helping us overcome. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Edmund, would you stand with us as well? And the church of Sardis is also known as the dead church. The dead church. So let's, let's read verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, and you are, and yet you are dead. Now, the seven spirits, seven stars, remember seven in the Hebrew is the, name, the number of completion. So it, it represents the fullness of the spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. That's simply what that means. And it says, so remember, be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Then if you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you will not know, you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not sold their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. And then says the one who overcomes, everybody say overcome. Will be clothed with the same, in the same way in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So everybody put your hand right here up to your ear. Come on. Because this is what we want to do. Remember, you can put it down so you look weird. <laughs> Sir, it's too long. Too long. You, you look weird. But... Here's the deal, Edmund OKC, because God's Word is alive and active, Hebrews 4.12 tells us. It's not a book that you just read, but a book that you listen. So today, because we're reading the, the Bible, it's, because it's alive, it's not a book that you just read, but a book that actually will read you. So when we truly read, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. That's not just in Revelation 2,000 years ago, that's today. That's right now. So we're going to do something. We, we do it every once in a while. And I know introverts love it. Extroverts hate it. How many extroverts do we have in the house? It should be extroverts, remember? Awesome. There's a few of you. How many introverts? Okay. See, there's a couple of you, like, introverts, you're like... True introvert. There's a couple of people that went, introverts? Probably not an introvert, but, you know, there's... We'll, we'll let you believe that here in church. But here's what we want to do. See, I, I think I said, I said this a few weeks ago. A message will, will, take, will probably involve around 6,000 words. But some of you here don't need 6,000 words from me. You need a single word from the Holy Spirit. Because that will make the entire difference on how you receive this as information or as formation. So I want us to take just a few seconds and truly invite the Holy Spirit to have His Word spoken to you. Edmund, would you do this with me? Just take 30 seconds. I know it's going to feel like 30 years. But when you open up your heart, you hush every voice that's been shouting at you from the time you woke up. Trying to, to take place of what God might say to you today. Would you just quiet out and spend 30 seconds and say, Holy Spirit, my ears are open to what you want to say. Jesus, we thank you that you're with us today. We thank you that your presence make the, makes a difference in our lives. 
We open up our ears so that you, so that we can hear your word spoken to us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The title for this morning is simply this, Strength to Overcome. Strength to Overcome, as we're in this season of strength, because I believe that God's Word can truly help us overcome as we do these three things. The first thing is going to be wake up. The second thing is going to be strengthen what remains. And the third thing will be repent. That we will get from this from this verse. Now, as you read this verse, you hear it and it sounds extremely harsh, extremely difficult. And one of the things that I love about God's word is that even though it sounds harsh sometimes, that it always comes with grace. So truth and grace always come together, especially when it hurts in verses like this. About a couple of years ago, I had to go and and get a procedure done on my back. Believe it or not, I had fatty tissue. That's what they call it. And some of you guys are like super shocked. And as you, you ought to be. And I had a lipoma removed from my back. And I, when I went to the surgeon, I, I let him know in advance. Hey, listen, my, my body reacts differently to anesthetics. And he said, oh, okay. And I said, no, you don't realize my body reacts. He's like, oh, okay. So I lay down on, on, on my belly. I was awake the whole time as he knocked my back. And it was awesome for about two minutes. Because then I felt like the cold metal break away the fibers of my skin. So I immediately let him know um, I'm feeling that, you know, with, with a kind tone. So he proceeded and gave me more anesthetics. And it was fine, and that helped for about three minutes. Because then, once again, I felt his hand sort of like part the waters of my flesh. And that time, I excitingly and energetically let him know that I was feeling what he was doing on my back. And listen, I didn't care that he was a doctor. I didn't care that his motives were good for me, all I could feel was the pain of the cutting because the anesthetics were not working on, on my body. And sometimes when we read God's word, all we feel is the, the cut. But I'm so thankful that, that God's truth doesn't just come with truth, it always comes with an anesthetic called grace. So whenever you read it, whenever we read hard verses like this, we must remember, I feel the cutting, but I know that there's grace in it. Because here's the deal. If we just share truth without grace, remember Jimmy Evans says this, that's mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. In other words, if, you, if all you just go to a to an orthodontist because you have a tooth infection and he just gives you Novocaine, that'll feel great, but it will not help you with the infected tooth. The only thing that helps is the removal of the infected tooth. If all we preach is grace and God loves you and God is full of grace, that becomes meaningless because what happens if we just share grace, then people end up making up a definition of truth all of their own. So what we need is truth with grace because that becomes medicine. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless, but truth with grace is medicine. And that's where Jesus comes in. John tells us from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And we're grateful because when Jesus shares the truth through his word, we receive it with grace. Are you thankful for grace today? Are you thankful for his grace? Edmund, are you thankful for his grace in our lives? But his grace is not just so that we don't feel bad about sin. Grace doesn't keep you from the operating table. 
What grace does is allows you to trust the doctor even though he's cutting you because then you realize he's not cutting me to cause me pain. He's cutting me so that I can be healed. And we thank him for his grace. So what grace is found in the church of Sardis? Well, let's talk about Sardis for, for, a, minute, for a minute. The church of Sardis was in a city that was the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest cities of its time. It was prosperous. It was located at the crossroads of five roads, which made it perfect for trade. It was also located up high, uh, surrounded by towering hills, which made it impossible to overtake. So it was also a military center. So the people in Sardis walked around kind of like, you can take this, we're wealthy, we're strong, we're prosperous, you can bring us down. All religions are welcome. We can do whatever we want. Even the Roman government was in charge of Sardis, but they even allowed other religions to take place, including Christianity. They built even a Jewish synagogue that it was the largest of the ancient world. It could fit about a thousand people, almost as big as a football field. Talk about a mega, super mega church. But the problem with the city also became the problem of the church. The city was dealing with sexual immorality, their own definition of sexuality, their own definition of good and evil. The church was dealing with a culture that was welcoming idolatry to be part of their life. And it was so strong in the city that it was now becoming part of the church culture. The sin of Sardis, it was that it embraced a culture that it was supposed to challenge. And I don't know if you realize, but that sounds very familiar with, with what we hear today. And you may feel like, Pastor Oscar, that verse is too strong. So even as we, as we read this, remember that there's grace involved in the process. Verse 1 says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. That's harsh. In other words, you think Sardis, you're, you think you guys are, you, you're doing all these conferences and all these people come and watch you. You think you're doing all these things and you may think that you're alive in your time, but the reality is that you're, you're dead. The word alive in the Greek is the word zeu, which means active, blessed, or powerful. And the word dead in the Greek, it's... It's the word necros, which means destitute of force or power, inactive or inoperative. In other words, you have a reputation of being active, blessed, and powerful, but in reality, you are without power. You're inactive. You're inoperative. And I don't know if you realize, but we live in a nation that many times we equate blessings with spiritual health. If I have enough of what I want, then therefore I am living right for God. And on the same, in the same way we think, man, if I'm struggling, there must be something wrong with my relationship with God. And neither of those are correct entirely. But because we live in a nation that is very wealthy and prosperous, sometimes we allow its culture to infiltrate even the belief inside the church. But the truth is, Jesus was telling Sardis, Sardis, you're active. You're doing a lot of the things. You, you show up for church. You read your Bible. You're like a spiritual hamster and you're going and going, but nothing in your life is advancing and moving forward. You think you're alive, but you're dead. The church was full of people who made professions of their faith, but the Holy Spirit was not present in their daily, the daily walk. There was no genuine fruit of their faith. The church appeared outwardly alive, but it was inwardly dead. So Jesus challenges them the, way, the same way that he would challenge Pharisees throughout the New Testament. Remember, he says to them in Matthew, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Can somebody say, ouch? Yeah, that's like, oh my goodness, Jesus, take it easy. But remember, it's grace and truth. As he shares his truth, it's not for the cutting itself, but it's for the healing. So the sin of Sardis and the danger that faced Sardis is the same danger that I feel like many times, I don't feel that I believe, it's the same danger facing our nation in many ways. Because if you, if you look around you, I mean, you have so many options to go to church. So many places. And let's be honest, we, it's easy to go to a church that makes us feel good about ourselves. That all that it preaches grace. If we don't offend people, the church will grow. If we don't offend tithers, the church will grow. If we don't talk about things that make people feel uncomfortable, the church will grow. So in many ways, we may be in a successful church in America that is inwardly death spiritually. The danger in America is that we could have a lot of people of faith with no real faith at all. And the, the danger that Sardis was facing is a danger that we must recognize today. And that's why we can come today and say, Lord, I need your strength today so that I, know get to the, I don't get to the place that Sardis was. In verse 5 it says, he who overcomes, which implies that there will be some that won't overcome. Which one are you wanting to be? Edmund, which one are you wanting to be? The one who overcomes. So how to overcome this danger? How do we get strength to overcome? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Because I'm going to give you three things. The first one is simply this. Wake up. Turn to the person next to you. Like, for real, wake up. You're, you had a long night last night. You party too hard. I mean, you prayed too hard. Wake up. The word, the word alert is the word Gregorio or awake. Which is, if your name is Gregory, that means your name is watchful and alert. The word Gregorio is the same word that Jesus uses when they're at the, at the Garden of Gethsemane. If you remember, and he comes to his disciples and he tells them, hey, stay Gregorio with me as I go and pray. And I will stay awake with me. And what happens? They fall asleep. Then Jesus comes back and he says, could you not Gregorio with me? For even an hour. And when we read it, we think, oh man, they were asleep physically. But throughout the New Testament, anytime the word Gregorio appears to be asleep, it's not just physically. It's giving you, the reader, and the context that this could be also be talking about someone who's actually dead. Because Gregorio was also used for Lazarus when he died. And Jesus said, don't worry, he's just Gregorio. He's dead but he's sleeping. So what Jesus is trying to tell us now today is that we could become in danger of falling asleep and we don't even know it. That the church in Sardis was struggling to understand what it meant to, to be fully alert, to stay awake. Genesis 4 tells us, but if you do not do what is right Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. In other words, you need to stay alert because sin is waiting for the right opportunity to overcome you instead of you overcoming it. Stay alert. Stay awake. Wake up, Sardis. Wake up, church. Recognize in your life what areas are in need of strength that can only come from Jesus. I wonder if that verse alone could save somebody's marriage, somebody's relationship right now. How do we overcome? The second thought is this. You overcome when you strengthen what remains. The word strengthen is the, in the Greek is the word sterizo, which means you turn resolutely in a certain direction to confirm, to establish, to steadfastly, to steadfastly set. Strengthen what remains. 
And we must remember that Jesus had not just written this letter to a church building. He was actually writing this letter to the people inside the church. In other words, this, this is just a building. I know it says Victory Church on the outside, but it's just Victory Building. It only becomes a church when you walk in. So this message is not just for the building, it is for you and I. The question that we must ask ourselves is not, what does the book of Revelation mean? But because we were invited to hear what the Holy Spirit says, the question is, what is the Spirit saying to His church and what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? What is He speaking to us? So I know the keyboard player is playing, but Edmund OKC, don't be distracted because that doesn't mean that the message is over or almost over. It means that we're going to get to practice in just a little bit what we're talking about. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and strengthen an area in our lives that might be weakened. But the message for us is this. Turn. Change direction. Establish yourself in Jesus so, so that you are not moved by culture. As I look on social media and everything else, it really disturbs my heart and breaks my heart to see people that are being easily swayed by the doctrine of our culture that says you don't need truth. You can create your own truth because all we have is grace. So what I'm praying is that the Holy Spirit whispers in our heart if there's something in our spiritual walk with Jesus that is in need of strength. Or is there something that is losing strength? Is there something that is dead in you or is dying in you? And the reason why we invite the Holy Spirit for that is because in your spiritual walk, there are some things that you will not be able to see unless you come into God's presence. They become impossible for you to recognize remember in his presence there is fullness of joy that means that if you're going through a hard time and you don't see you don't feel joy around you when you come into his presence he shows you i have a purpose and a plan for what you're going through and i will not make you waste those trials that you're going for i have joy in front of you but it is in his presence that you find this not just trying to figure it out on your own so in his presence Things that we don't see spiritually become visible. And if we end up not being able to see what he's trying to show us, then the challenge is this, do we trust Jesus even though we don't understand what's happening? Are there areas in my life that are in need of strength? But remember, the Holy Spirit doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. He whispers. So for you to hear what the Spirit has to say, it, um, it involves close proximity. So for just a, in just a little bit, Kevin and Marcia are going to lead us in, in, into a time of worship where we simply do that. When we hush every single voice around us and we say, Lord, what areas of my life do I not realize that are dying or already dead? What areas of my life are in need of strength right now? Because the message to Sardis was not, hey, you're just... You're asleep and spiritually dead and you're going to miss Jesus coming. No, the greatest message to, to, to Sardis was this. Jesus can make dead things come alive. Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is in your marriage, is it dead or dying? In your relationship with God, is it dead or dying? What about your joy? Is it dead or dying? What about your love for people? Is it dead or dying? What about your, your peace? Have you been so submerged in the culture around you that you've lost your peace, that you live in constant fear? God is here to breathe life into you today. Edmund, okay, see, I'm going to invite you to stand just for a moment. I'm going to read a quote from a pastor, Pastor Bill Johnson from Bethel. And without getting too much into it, you know, I, 
I think, I'm not sure I entirely agree with, it, with all of his theology. No, the songs that they bring out, that's what we don't, we sing some, we don't sing all of them. But I do believe that God has placed a calling on his life for the church. And, and there are some things that we're encouraged to listen to. And so if you may not be aware, his wife passed away this past week. Wife of 45, 50 plus, 40 plus years. And this is what he said at, at her funeral. He says, God is not a vending machine that I get to put a quarter into and withdraw from him what I want. He chooses what he gives, but it is the wicked at heart that says, God didn't do what I wanted, therefore he's a liar. May I never be found critiquing God and the things when things don't go my way. May I always be found having a heart ready to be critiqued by him. Is God my friend? He is, but he's my Lord first. And I'll never have the pain I'm feeling right now in eternity. So in this moment, it is a privilege to respond rightly to the Lord of my life with deeper trust and devotion. I will bow before the Lamb of, on the throne in awe and worship him forever. But listen, but never will I have the face-to-face -face chance to do that while I'm in pain. So in this moment, I choose to do that. When I said yes to Jesus, I gave up my right to fully understand or be in charge of my life. Did you realize that in heaven, we won't worship out of pain? We'll just worship. There will be no pain. Today, you get to worship out of pain, which that's why it's, it's a privilege. So let me ask you this, Edmund and OKC, how's your worship? Does it need strengthen? Has it changed from the first time you met Jesus Has it changed from the, tone, from the first time he, he, he helped you overcome addiction? Has it changed from the first time you recognized that you were getting a divorce and he was able to heal your broken heart? Has it changed? Have you, do you remember the same remember that Sardis is encouraged to, to have? Do you remember when he healed your body, when he healed your mind, when he changed your thinking, when he healed your soul? Do you remember when he healed you from a religious spirit? Do you remember when he changed your life, when you were afraid and had no love? Do you remember what it was like to live in fear and depression and anxiety? But now, because he is Lord of your life, he's major and created you into a new person do you remember that he is worthy of worship even when he makes you feel uncomfortable do you remember that he is worthy of your praise even when things are not going well in your life do you remember that sometimes he is able to lift your burdens as you lift your hands because you recognize I'm not worshiping according to my situation that may not change I'm worshiping according to my God whose faithfulness never changes he is faithful forever and ever Come on, would you lift your hands, lift your hands for just a moment, Edmund O'Kissy. And let's welcome the Holy Spirit speak to us. What areas of my life do I need to strengthen? What areas have I fallen asleep? What areas do I need to feel the Holy Spirit of God say, wake up! I still have purpose and a calling for you. Wake up, I'm not done with you. Wake up, those things are not leftovers. They things that remain, but those are the things that I can use for my glory. What you see as a leftover, what you see as, a, as just the outcome of a brokenness, I can use that for, for, for my glory. Would you strengthen those things? Lift your hands, come on, Marcy and Kevin. Let's worship, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. 
Be seated for just a moment. Take a deep breath. Edmund, take a deep breath. Okay. See what that does? Just walk into his presence and feel his grace that empowers you to continue to do what you don't think you can do. The last point is probably the, the hardest one because it's, it's one that we don't typically have a lot of conversations about. But it's the most important one because it's the point, it's the word that says in, in Revelation 3 that says repent. Wake up, strengthen what remains, and repent. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent and I love that word receive because it's also the same word when you receive the cross or the, the gospel it's, it's a receive that means that you hold on to it tightly and you don't let go that you hold it with force remember what you have received and don't let it go the message of the gospel God's God's promise to you, don't let it go. You keep it, and as you do that, but it also says repent, and the word repent is a Greek word metanoia, which means change of mind. And boy, is, it, is that hard. If you've been married for two days, you know that's hard, right? <laughs> change of mind. And that's especially hard in a culture that loves their opinion. We'd love to post it. We have the right to share it. And 
and it's our opinion, therefore, because I feel it strongly, then therefore it's true. But the word of repentance has to do with a change of mind. So sometimes the very first step is saying, Lord, change my unbelief. God, I want to follow you and I have a problem with this area. Lord, would you help me change my mind into, I know that I feel like this is true, but because it's different from your word, I'm going to trust your word more than what I want it to mean. Because sometimes we interpret God's word according to how we want it to fit our lifestyle, according to how we want it to fit our desires. And God, God's word is unchangeable. Well, Pastor Oscar, but that hurts, that cuts. I know, but there's grace for that. There's grace for that. But we must repent. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, so Remember what you have received. I'm sorry, it says, do not quench the spirit, do not utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything, hold firmly to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithfully see who calls you, and he also will do it. That's what we're called to examine everything that, that, that we hear, that we listen, every doctrine that comes, everything that the media at times wants to push. We examine that, and if it doesn't stand with God's word, then we reject it. We receive God's truth and God's word, and we live by it. First Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered for a while... The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen, establish you. So the question I have for you today is simply this. How is your faith? Like really? And I don't mean your faith in local churches or congregations. I don't mean your faith in TV evangelists or following mega church pastors. I don't mean how is your faith on your Christian friends that live one way different from what they post on social media. All the verses and everything, all the selfies with the Bible, but you know their lifestyle during the week. I don't mean those. I mean, how's your faith in Yahweh? The one true God. And we call him Yahweh because that's the closest thing that we can come. His name is actually we're not able to pronounce it. It doesn't have syllables. I'm sorry, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have vowels. But so that we can call him something, it's such a name that is so holy, but the Jewish don't have a name for God. It's too holy, too perfect. How is your relationship with that perfect God? How is your faith in him? What areas in your life do you need him to strengthen this morning? How's your faith in Yahweh? The problem facing America, I believe, was the same challenge facing Sardis. That we may have a lot of people of faith with no real faith at all. You might be familiar with the story of an, a man that went by the name of Charles Blondin. Who in 1890 chose to cross the Niagara Falls from one end to the other. He did it with nothing, but on stilts. One time he would do it on stilts, another time he would do it blindfolded. It would take him 17 minutes, over 1,100 feet, held high above the water about 160 feet, 16 stories high, to his death. And on one occasion, he even carried a wheelbarrow across the rope. Then he would put a sack of potatoes and he would cross it across the, the rope. And at one point in time, as he would arrive to the other side of the Niagara Falls, remember there were crowds, hundreds of people watching in expectation. 
As he got to the end, after cheering, there was a gentleman there by the name of Duke of Newcastle from a royal family in England. So Charles looked at him and said, Duke, do you believe that I can carry a person on that wheelbarrow and take him across the Niagara Falls? The Duke responded rapidly with confidence. Absolutely you can. And the crowd went nuts. Excited to see this. Then he looks to the crowd and he says, do you guys believe that I can take a man, a person on this wheelbarrow and take him across the Niagara Falls, 1,100 feet, 16 stories high above the water? And they said, yes. The crowd cheered. Then he looks at the Duke of Newcastle and he says, hop in. The Duke kindly declined. So then Charles Blondin looks at the crowd and he says, which one of you guys wants to jump in on the wheelbarrow so we can come across the Niagara Falls together? No one did. The same people that just a couple of minutes ago were screaming and believe will not get in the wheelbarrow. Until a few minutes have passed, then we see this older lady make her way through the crowd. And she says, I'll do it. So they helped her climb out the wheelbarrow and together, Charles and this older lady, slowly but surely, made it across the Niagara Falls. Over 1,100 feet, 160 feet above their death we later on find out that that elder lady was his mom listen because she was the one who knew him enough to put her life in his hands which one are you are you on the sidelines screaming, I believe you, Jesus! Yes! But you have yet to crawl up on the wheelbarrow with him. Are you on the outside saying, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a good person. Awesome. But remember, Jesus went to the cross. He didn't die on the cross so that, I, so that I didn't have to. He didn't die on the cross so that you didn't have to. He went to the cross so that you and I could join him. Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. Which Christian are you? Are you facing the same danger the Sardis face? Or are you saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Wherever you take me, I will go. Even though it hurts, God, I trust your grace to help me make it through it. I wonder who's here this, this afternoon now in Edmond and OKC. That you know, that you know, that you know because the Holy Spirit whispered into your heart, into your ear, that you're on the sidelines. There's lots of cheering. But you're not walking with him. He's inviting you. Do you trust them to put your life in his hands? Every head bow and every eye closed in Edmund Okasi. And I want to ask you this question. If, you, if that's you, if you recognize that that's you, and you're saying, I need to give my life for Jesus. I don't want to miss his coming. I need to give my life to Jesus. I may be dead or dying, but there's hope for me. Jesus is speaking life to you. You're saying, Pastor Oscar, that's me. I've not given my life entirely to Jesus. In just a little bit, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. Pastor Philip will come in Edmund here in just a little bit after we pray. But I, I encourage you, listen to the Holy Spirit who is that's speaking to you right now. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we have heard your word. Help us respond with boldness and not fear. Knowing that you're listening and knowing that you have our best in mind. 
We trust you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church give. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.